Hey, welcome to New Community. It's so good to be back with you guys and I uh, hope you are doing well. Um, we have been watching a lot of movies in our house. I don't know if you guys have been doing the same thing, but I wondered how many of you remember the film Apollo 13. It's another Tom Hanks, just amazing film, but it tells the story of the 1970 mission to the moon that ended up failing due to an explosion in the spacecraft. It's one of these just knuckle-biting uh, knuckle movies, and it tells of this, this tension of wondering if these astronauts would even make it back safely. One of, my, one of my favorite parts of the story is the way it captures the point where the astronauts are about to re-enter Earth's atmosphere. Now here's, here's what happens in the movie, and I'll show you this in just a minute, but because of this explosion that had taken place, no one knew whether the spacecraft's heat shield was going to hold up when they came back into the atmosphere. So I want you to watch this clip as we get started. Honestly, this is Houston. Do you read? Expected time of reacquisition, the time when the astronauts were expected to come out of blackout, has come and gone. But all any of us can do now is just listen and hope. We're about to learn whether or not that heat shield, which was damaged, as you remember, by the explosion three days ago, has withstood the inferno of reentry. I'll see, this is Houston. Do you read me? I'll see Houston. Do you read me? Three minutes, 30 seconds, stand by. I'll see Houston. Do you read me? I'll see, this is Houston. Do you read me? That's four minutes, standing by. Odyssey, uh, Houston, do you read? Isn't that clip great? 
right? Here's what we know about the real story of this. These astronauts had a 500-point checklist that they had been given as they were trying to re-enter Earth's atmosphere. In real life, they were blacked out, radio silent, for a minute and a half longer than they should have been. The, the, The NASA folks said it was the longest minute and a half of their life. See, the fear there was that they would burn up on re-entry, that they actually wouldn't survive. These astronauts had been in space 142 hours, 54 minutes, and 41 seconds, and the biggest concern was the last minute and a half. There's this quote at the beginning of the Lord of the Rings, and it says, the world has changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost. If those of us living through this pandemic feel anything, I believe it's that. The world's changed. Since we've been under this stay-at-home order, I have not had one week go by where someone hasn't approached me, texted me, emailed me, called me, and said something like this. We will never be the same. There's a new normal. People are saying all the time, this is strange. Everything has changed. It's kind of like that Lord of the Rings quote. We feel, we smell, we sense that the world is different. We recognize it. But here's the thing. Now now we're in this season where things are starting to reopen. States are letting things slowly get back to whatever normal is going to be. People are going out. Town's been busy this week. Businesses are trying to start back up. We've we've entered our own re-entry stage. And my concern in this has been that if we don't understand what it means to follow Christ and re-enter well, we may burn up. We may lose our minds, right? I I actually wonder if re-entry is going to be harder than staying at home has been. I was reading an article this week about the effects the pandemic has had on us emotionally as a culture, and it said that nearly one half of all Americans say the virus has harmed their mental health. Federal hotline for for those with emotional distress that they have opened saw a more than 1,000% increase in calls just in the month of April. Online therapy, there's a group called Talkspace. They found a 65% jump in clients since the middle of February. And those are the things that happened during the stay-at-home orders. So how are we doing with this re-entry? I I was thinking this week about how it may be harder actually emotionally and relationally as we re-enter. Just just informally, it seems like the tensions are already rising. Some of you, I've heard from you, and you're more afraid than you have been this entire time of quarantine. You're more afraid of getting back to whatever normal is than you have been staying at home the whole time. You're scared because everyone else is starting to go back out. Some of you are looking for more conspiracy theories, or you're looking for proof that none of this is really as big of a deal as it seems to be. And some of you are just paralyzed, and you don't even know what you should be feeling. Regardless of what you're feeling as the coming weeks roll by, I think we're going to be faced, much like those Apollo 13 astronauts, with the pressure of this thing called re-entry. There there are just some things we don't know yet. We don't know what the virus will do. We don't know whether the businesses and the economy will quickly recover. We, We don't know whether schools will go back to normal or things will keep shifting and changing around. We just don't. No. And so it feels in many ways like we're entering that strained time of radio silence, anxiously trying to figure out what's going to happen. So for the next three weeks, as you join us for, for new community online, hopefully we can get back together soon. But as you join us for the next three weeks, I want to talk to you about reentry. I, I want to talk about the things that we 
do know. For those astronauts, they didn't know if the heat shield would hold up, but they did know that NASA had sent them a list of 500 things they could check off, and so they focused on those things, the things they could control, and it got them through the unknown. In this series, I want to give you some things that we can do as we are about to re-enter our world. Whatever level you're at, whether you can't wait to get back out there, you're just dying for restaurants to open or whatever it is, or whether you're terrified, wherever you are in this process, I want to say to you, it's okay. And we can all get through this re-entry journey with some basic guidelines that what it means to follow Christ is to re-enter well. To get to these guidelines, to get to these principles, we're going to look at the story of Jesus in one of the, I believe, one of the strangest moments of his life. For the next three weeks, we're going to pick this story apart and see what we can add to our re-entry checklist. But, but, but for now, let me, let me just tell you the story. Jesus is, is in this space where he's left some crowds behind, and he's sailed across a sea, and he's entering this region. And as soon as he lands on the other side of the water, he enters this space, and there's a demon possessed man. You may have heard this story who is living among the tombs. He can't he doesn't have clothes on and he comes basically yelling and screaming at Jesus and his disciples. And in this story in Luke 8, Jesus confronts the demons that have possessed this man and says, "Who are you?" And the demon says, "We are legion, for we are many." And there's just this incredible moment where Jesus says, you are to leave this man, and the demons beg, please don't torture us, please let us, let us enter these pigs that are out here. See, there was a herd of pigs that the farmers had out in the fields, and they said, the demons said, let us go to the pigs, and so Jesus allows that. The demons leave the man, they enter the pigs, and the pigs all take off running and, and, and fall over this cliff to their death. And then the follow-up is that this man, the town comes out to see what's going on, and this man, they say, is sitting clothed and in his right mind. And the pigs, they notice, are dead. And so the town begs Jesus to leave their neighborhood. We'll talk more about that in a couple weeks. But the man wants to go with Jesus. And Jesus actually turns to the man and says, No, go back to your community and tell them all that God has done for you. I'm telling you, it's one of the strangest stories throughout the stories of Jesus' life. It comes out of Luke Eight. And I'm so blown away by this story because we see so many different reactions to who Jesus is, to what he does, and ultimately this, this commissioning. Jesus makes this guy one of his first missionaries, this commissioning to say, go and tell your friends, tell your neighborhood, go re-enter your community and tell them what God has done for you. He was to go and tell his story, tell his story of being cured, tell his story uh, of, of the healing that had taken place, and the town would notice a difference. And then we're told Jesus gets into the boat, and, and he leaves. He departs. Such a fascinating story, right? There's so many re-entry points taking place as this this man wants to go and is sent back home as the town is actually asking Jesus, please just go away, right? Just get out of our community. And we need to unpack this. Let me, let me give you a couple insights into this story before we jump into talking about the re-entry piece. I, I, I want to get you a, a couple things that you need to understand from this story. First, Jesus was way out of bounds, right? So, so let me explain what I mean by that. Have you noticed how judgy people are right now? 
right? Have you noticed how, like, like some are judging others for going out too often. They're, they're doing too many of the normal things too quickly. And some are judging people for, for being nervous and staying at home. And, and we've got all this judgment being cast around. Some of us are afraid to post any pictures with any friends because we're afraid we're going to get judged on social media. So you're having like secret get togethers, which I think is very similar to what the church should be, right? And, and then some of you are nervous about getting judged because you're still trying to maintain social distance. And, and there's all this judging going on, right? So let me say, for the Jewish people, they understand everything about their religion, everything about their morality was centered on being clean or being unclean. And where you spent time and how you lived your life would determine whether you were clean or unclean. This moment in this story, in this place where Jesus finds himself, is well worth judging for a Jewish person. He is out of bounds in more ways than one. Remember these things. First, the Jews didn't care anything. They didn't care about anything as much as staying clean. And so all of their laws helped them understand what was clean, what was unclean. And here, in this story, Jesus is breaking a bunch of those religious laws. First, he's hanging out with Gentiles. Those were non-Jewish people that he had gone to do mission work with. He's also with a man who is living among the tombs, and in the tombs were dead bodies. That made you even more unclean. This man is naked. That made you super unclean. This man was possessed with demons. He was like super, super unclean. And finally, he's surrounded, Jesus is surrounded in this moment by pig farmers who were unclean animals. All of this puts him according to the Jews, in an uncomfortable territory. He would have been raising issues for his Jewish followers. So we have an issue of how exactly Jesus is going to enter this culture. Now second, Jesus tells this healed man, I want you to re-enter your own community. The man wants to come with Jesus, but Jesus sends him home. Now in a couple weeks, we're going to talk in so much detail about what it meant for this man to go home. There's so many cool things that happen. But, but for now, just know that's, that's where things are headed. So here, here's the final point I want to draw out. This is a crazy story. There are several things about this that are unlikely in any story of a Jewish teacher. The man was naked. That's just weird, right? He was an outcast. He was screaming at them as they approached. He was living among the tombs. The demons are talking to Jesus, introducing themselves as legion. The demons are then sent out to pigs who run off of a hill, and all the pigs kill themselves. This is like the makings of a horror movie, right? There are lots of strange moments going on in this story. And finally, the story comes in a series of three miracles right before Jesus sends his disciples out to do ministry on their own. And in these stories, this is what's cool in Luke 8, you'll find that these miracles Jesus conducts, that they all center on some kind of a storm, some kind of chaos. So Jesus calms a storm, then he heals this tormented demon-possessed man, and then he raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. Some, some would call these three of the most powerful demonstrations of Jesus's power in all of his ministry. I would suggest that maybe what Jesus is doing here before he sends his disciples out is he's growing their faith. He's prepping them as he's about to send them. He's demonstrating to them, this is the authority that you're going to have. So I want you to picture this. Picture this incredible moment, and I want you to think about the people involved in this story. Put yourself in the place of the disciples watching this, and then not long after being sent back out with power and authority to do exactly what Jesus had been doing. Would, would you be anxious that more demoniacs might come at you? Think about the townspeople begging Jesus to leave their community. Maybe this is just too uncomfortable. 
And maybe today, you just need to picture yourself as this man. The man who, after he meets Jesus, is found to be dressed and in his right mind. He's gone from tormented and tortured, living among the tombs, to clothed and in his right mind, finding healing, wishing he could go with Jesus and finding himself on a new mission, being told he must re-enter the community that cast him out to be who he was called to be. As we start this re-entry journey, and in not just our teaching series, but what it means to re-enter our world, I want to invite you to be in the place of that man prior to his healing. In fact, I want you to consider for a moment the current state of your own heart, of your own mind, of your own emotions. I want you to think about your feelings when it comes to life as these states are starting to reopen. I wonder how you're doing, really. Are you anxious? In recent months, we've all, I, I believe, at one time or another, we have felt the collective stress of our culture. We've seen too many headlines telling us how bad the news of the pandemic was. We've carried the weight of unknown things, and, and we've been left without answers as we stay at home, hoping, just hoping, please don't let things get really bad, whatever that means. And now as things reopen, those same questions flash before us, and they can be Stressful. They can relight that anxiety and keep us a bit crippled. Are you fearful? Right along with our anxiety can come fear. Fear can paralyze us. Fear of sickness. Fear for those we love who may get sick. Fear for ourselves. Fear that the economy is going to keep struggling. Fear is this voice that we cannot always find any ability to turn off. Are you fearful? Are you anxious? Are you confused? I have been. Depending on what news you watch and what feed you stream, you may get all kinds of information, and it can wear you out. I've noticed in recent weeks, like I said, that these number of conspiracy theories is only increasing, as well as the blame and the judgment being cast on others. Blame for politicians, blame on healthcare systems, judgment for each other as we try a move back toward normal. Are you confused or are you lonely? This has been an incredibly easy time to be lonely as we stay at home, especially if we're distant from others, right? It can be really hard to find connection, and that weighs on us. It eats at us. It turns lights out in our lives and convinces us that we can't turn them back on. Loneliness, like the fear and the anxiety, can be absolutely crippling. Can I just say to you, the scriptures give us, and I want you to grab this today, the scriptures give us a portrait of Satan and of the works of hell that is really different than the cute little pitchfork carrying cartoon character that popped up in all the old Tom and Jerry shows. See, scripture actually tells us that Satan is a prowling lion seeking whom he can devour. We're told in the scriptures that he schemes and that he throws flaming arrows at us. See, the works of hell are these destructive forces that want to leave us tormented. They want to strip us bare. They want to take us out of our minds, just like this man among the tombs was. So maybe these things, maybe the anxiety, the fear, the depression, the confusion, the loneliness, maybe those are all demonic forces sent at us to destroy our lives and our well-being. And maybe for us to re-enter well, we need to start by actually naming what's inside of us. This is what Jesus calls the man to, right? Like the very first question Jesus asks the man in Luke 8 is, what is your name? And actually, 
Actually, the way Luke tells the story, Jesus isn't even talking to the man. He's actually directly confronting the demon. He says, I want to know what demon you are. He's asking the demon, who are you? What is your name? This was common practice among exorcists who dealt with demons, by the way, in the first century. They wanted to know what they were facing. Who are you? Which demon are you? See, as we talk about all the things that can make reentry tough for us, I believe the first thing on our checklist as Christ followers, I believe the first thing on our checklist needs to be naming what's inside of us. Jesus names this demon, and it's fascinating because the demon says, my name is Legion. Legion, because many demons had gone into this man. Do you know what a legion was in Rome? It was a military unit, right? It was a squadron of soldiers, and it ranged, check this out, a legion ranged between four and 6,000 soldiers. So when this demon answers Jesus, it makes the honest statement that this man is held captive by thousands of demonic forces, thousands of things, thousands of hell-sent powers have destroyed his life, ripped him out of his community, torn apart his mind, and left him naked among the tombs. Do you know why so many of us are going to struggle with re-entry? Some of you already are. Do you know why this happens? Because we're scared to death to name the things that are in us. And you know what? Fact of the matter, this was an issue long before the pandemic. You see, I meet people all the time. I I counsel with people all the time who want to deal with some things in their lives. But here's the reality. They want to deal with some things, but they don't want to deal with the real things. They don't want to name the things that are in them. They want to feel better about themselves. They don't necessarily, though, want to deal with the things that it will take to actually make them better. There's this verse in the book of Isaiah, chapter 44, and it's like the whole chapter of Isaiah 44 builds to this one verse. God is confronting his people with this prophecy in Isaiah, and and he's calling out his people for making false idols. He's saying, it's absolutely crazy that you're building a false god out of wood, and, and you're worshiping this god, but the other half of the wood you're using to roast your meat over. But in this chapter, God makes this statement about people who are caught up in the worship of idols. And here's what he says. He says, such people, these idol worshipers, they feed on ashes. And then he says this, a deluded heart misleads them. They cannot save themselves. He goes on, he says, or they can't even say, is not this thing in my right hand, this idol that I've made, is not this thing a lie? You see, too often we're holding things close to us, maybe in our right hands, things that are lying to us. I keep having this conversation with people about the idea of getting back to normal. And I keep hearing those things that that some people are saying, I actually don't want things to go back to normal. I actually like some of what I've learned in this season of staying home. They, They like the slower pace. They like having more time with their kids. They like more meals at home. And they want to keep some of those things as new normals. And I agree with all of that. But you know what we're not saying in those conversations? You know what we're not talking about? We're not saying that the way we were doing life before was lying to us. We're saying we like all the good of this, but we're not saying, here's the things that I was doing that were lying to me. We're not saying that the constant rush, the overabundance of filling our schedules and entertaining ourselves to death, we're not saying that the constant on-the-move pace that we try to keep up, we're not saying that those things that we were holding so closely are lying to us. 
We're not saying that we actually had entwined ourselves with idols that we worshipped. I know that's strong, but we had. We were worshipping the idols of overcommitment. The idols of busyness as status symbols. The idol, idols of hurry and what that meant to be normal. And, and here's the thing. If we don't name those things, if we don't name them as all idols and as lies, we're going to fail at reentry. We're going to burn up. If we don't name the false idols, the works of hell that are in us before we get back to whatever normal is, we're going to miss the opportunity for God to heal us. I don't know if you've paid attention to this or not, but... One of the benefits globally as the coronavirus pandemic has spread is that the levels of air pollution all across the world, in light of people staying at home and industrial efforts being slowed down, the, the effects of that, one of the great benefits is that pollution levels have plummeted, right? That the air in many places is cleaner than it's been in, in years and in a long time. But what happens when life gets back to normal? If we don't name the real issues, we will go right back to destroying the atmosphere, right? See, your life is the same way. All these things that you're feeling right now, the anxiety, the depression, the fear, the loneliness, the worry, the pandemic did not cause those. It simply magnified them. And I bet you know that. I bet you deep down, you understand that. You had to actually, I had to actually be forced to start living differently, staying at home and slowing down to realize how our pace of life was killing us long before the pandemic. We had to find ourselves bored at home before we started being creative again. Have you noticed how much more you and your kids are creative in this season? But here's the thing. If we don't name what's in us, We'll never find what Jesus wants to do for us. If we don't name the things that are deep in us, holding us captive, we'll miss what Jesus wants to do with us, for us, in us. Let me extend this just a bit because this might be the piece that helps you here. I want you to notice in this story that there is never one single moment where the demons fight against, resist Jesus' authority. Do you notice as soon as Jesus set, sets foot in their territory, in this man's realm, the demons are begging him, please don't torture us. When Jesus asks the demon's name, it doesn't hide, it doesn't resist. And when Jesus tells the demons to leave, the demons beg even for Jesus' mercy that they might enter the pigs. You know what that says to us? You know what that says to me? The confidence we have is that the worst forces of hell still fall under the very authority of Jesus. You know what Tom and Jerry messed up for us theologically? I'm going to undo your cartoon theology today. We think Satan, we think the devil, and Jesus are opposites. We actually watch those cartoons and we think they're of equal size, one on each shoulder, bickering about what we should do or what we shouldn't do. Listen, don't miss this. It's critical for reentry. There is no power strong enough to stand against the authority of Jesus Christ as king. Nothing. This man's life has been wrecked by the powers of hell. His entire life, he was tormented. Socially, he's been cast out. Relationally, cast aside. Emotionally, he had been demonically ripped apart, stripped, literally. And I get it. Because many of you, if you're honest enough to name the things that are in us, you feel the same way. You feel like your things, your issues, you feel like they have a control and an authority over you that you just cannot stand up to. But don't miss this. The monsters that hold us captive those monsters can do nothing but submit to the authority 
of Jesus Christ. I read this story, and I read the story of those other demon possessions in the Gospels, and I try to rationalize them, right? Like maybe they had schizophrenia, maybe there were mental issues, or there were some psychological, physiological disorders. And you know what? Even if that's the case, it doesn't make the miracle of healing less amazing. But you know what happened when we lost the ability to consider Jesus actually confronting the demonic powers of hell all around us? You know what happened when we lost that? When we rationalized it away? We became weaker in our Christian faith. We became timid when we're called to courage. We became reluctant when we're called to be relentless. In, in the Screwtape Letters, this famous book by C.S. Lewis, he actually fictionalized letters between a senior demon named Screwtape and the letters that he wrote to his nephew, the demon Wormwood. And as Screwtape coaches his nephew, he speaks to several things. He gives his nephew tips on how to work against humanity. See if this sounds familiar. First, he says that when humans are lying awake in bed at night, Wormwood should encourage the human mind to run like crazy. He says we want him to be in the maximum uncertainty so that his mind will be filled with contradicting pictures of the future, every one of which arouses hope or fear. He said humans love to have courage. They like to imagine how they would be strong and exert control over the whole universe in lots of different hypothetical futures. Let him forget, Screwtape writes, that since they are incompatible, they cannot all happen to him and let him try to practice courage and patience to them all in advance. He says, put everything in his mind at once, all the unknowns, and help him forget that all of that can't happen at once. Screwtape goes on, and he says he would counsel us all to nurture and watch this. This is our world, right? He says, make sure you nurture their hostility toward each other. Make sure when it's unknown that they start blaming each other. Make sure when anxiety comes, that they start getting mad at the humans around them. In crisis, other people can become the threat or at least the sources of irritation to us. It's what we feel when we go to the grocery store looking for hand sanitizer and toilet paper and we find only empty shelves. We're instantly overcome. We're irritated and even angry toward the people who took more than they needed. We begin to see everyone else around us through a lens of judgment. Screwtape says, encourage that. Let that keep happening. Point out that other people are stupid. In all of this, C.S. Lewis says that when we need to do, what we need to do in this situation is to accept with patience, I love this, the tribulation which has actually been dealt to us. He says, accept it with patience. The present anxiety and suspense, accept it. For C.S. Lewis, the anxiety we feel about our future is the present cross we're called to carry. He says, the Christian challenge is to take up that cross like Jesus took up his cross. We should acknowledge our fear, ask God for help, and then pray as Christ taught us in all of that, thy will be done. Do you know why Jesus had the ability, the inner courage to go to the cross, which was a re-entry, by the way? because he knew the authority that he held as king. He could pray for God's will to be done and he could truly authentically mean it because he knew that ultimately God's will would be life and grace and resurrection. Friends, when we see Jesus confront demons and demons tremble and beg that he leave them alone, then we see the courage that we need for this moment of re-entry. 
We see a king invading enemy territory, going way out of bounds and reclaiming the things that have been lost. When we find the courage to name the things that are in us, the things that have been holding us captive and the things that we've held up as a false god, a false idol that are actually lies in our right hand, we will find we have been given the same authority to undo the powers of hell and stand strong in our lives, even in, even amidst the uncertainty of what it means to re-enter a society and truly live in the midst of a global pandemic. Friends, today we're starting on the road to re-entry. Some of you are already there and it's going to be, let me just tell you this, I don't know what all is going to happen. I don't know all the unknowns, but I do know in this season of re-entry, it will be an opportunity for the kingdom of God, for life the way God wants it to be for us, to extend into places that it hasn't been and flourish. It will be an opportunity for us to learn and be transformed by what we've experienced these past couple months. Or, or it will be an opportunity for the works of hell to rise up in us. I want you to hear me well. If you're in this very moment that we're facing culturally, feeling the crippling effects of loneliness or anxiety, of fear or depression, you are not alone. There is no judgment there. When we get back to meeting in this building, if you're not comfortable meeting with us because of the things that you're feeling, there is no judgment there. But you also have to be willing to name what it is that's in you, or those things will be, become the rulers, the strongholds of your life. If you're held captive by loneliness, name it. If you're crippled by despair, call it out. If anxiety feels bigger than your faith, let it be brought into the light. How do you do that? That's the question, right? Tell someone. Tell someone you know that walks with Jesus, hey, I need you around me. This is crippling me. If you don't have anyone, reach out to us. Email me. Let us know. I will connect with you or I'll connect you with someone who will walk beside you. But do not live another day without naming the things that are in you. And the same goes for those of us who can't wait to get back to normal. Your old normal may have been filled with idols, idols of busyness or status, of performance, of exhaustion, and I am begging you, don't just go back to normal without naming those things. Hold up, hold up whatever you were holding onto and see it for the lie that it is. Make changes now, changes to your schedules, changes to your relationships. Don't let another day go by without naming the false idols that you were clinging to. Those astronauts in Apollo 13, they had things they were concerned about. They didn't know if they were gonna burn up on re-entry, but they focused on the things they could control. They didn't know if the heat shield would hold, but they focused on the 500 other things that they knew to do. I don't know and you don't know what the next several months are gonna look like with this pandemic. We don't know what the next several years are gonna look like, and for many of us, that can be terrifying. But pandemic or not, the uncertainty of our lives, the health of ourselves, the health of our kids, the stability of our income, the political climate of our world, those things can be so overwhelming. But you know what? And I say this out of love and truth for you. You have absolutely no control over those things. You could avoid this pandemic and never contract another sickness. And then you could trip walking out of your front door and lose your life. You have no control over those things. So focus on the things that you can control. Focus on the authority of Jesus Christ 
over your life. Focus on the reality that you are, like Legion, called to name the things that are in you. And in naming those things, you might just find the ability. You might just find the power, the courage to lay those things at the feet of a king who causes demons to tremble. Name what's in you. And finally, name what's not in you. Some of you today, maybe you're tuning in for the first time. Maybe you've been watching for a while. And you just need to name the fact that you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. And today, as you're watching, I'd love, maybe for the first time ever, to invite you to step across a line of faith and say, Jesus, I am and I want to be laying everything I have at the feet of you, my King, my Savior, the one who embodied flesh and died on the cross because you wanted to take captive the powers of hell. And in doing that, you rose from the dead. Today, I would invite you to make that declaration of faith in your heart and your mind to give yourself to Jesus. Because when we do that, we have the courage to say, God, if creation praises you in spite of its brokenness, then so will I.